Welcome to the Willie Jackerson Experiment. I'm your host, the one, the only, Willie Jackerson. All right. So I got a great show for you guys. Um, it's kind of right, right around Christmas time, so I decided to run this again from last year. Uh, it was pretty cool because uh, I was uh, commenting on a podcast, um, the Doug Helberling um daily doug so if you're on youtube and you want to get some cool music uh head on over and subscribe to doug's channel uh he's i've had a, i've featured him a few times and uh it's pretty funny because uh i'm actually the one that requested the christmas treats i think there's a few other people on his channel that requested it as well so i think that's why he decided to run it and i had i think i already ran it uh last year but this time I'm going to run it again and I'm going to kind of do it just a little bit more thorough and uh, kind of throw a little bit of Doug's audio in here and a few other little audio tidbits that I found. And uh, so I hope you enjoy this episode and it is the Sabaton song. It's, it's a Sabaton song, but it's actually uh, an event that actually happened. There was over 100,000 soldiers that participated in it. But it was the Christmas truce of 1914. So thanks to Sabaton and thanks for all the people for helping me out. Especially thanks to Doug. Appreciate you, sir. So see you next week. And we will make America metal again. And I'm screaming, REVENGE AGAIN! Wrong. wrong. I've been wrong for far too long. Been constantly so frustrated, I've moved mountains with less. When I channel my hate, you're productive. I don't find it hard to press bones. Then traction has break the hard raw energy mold. Disastrous, my dears, and here what you say to me. Hold your mouth for the war. Use it for what it's for. Speak the truth about me. Determine. Today's Sabaton History episode is not about a battle. It's not about a weapon. It's not about like a tank or a plane. It's not even about a person involved in a war. Yet it is about the Great War. It is, of course, the Christmas truce. You'll be home before the first leaves fall, they said. The war will be over by Christmas, they said. Well, the leaves had all fallen, and by late December 1914, there was no end in sight to the Great War. As the soldiers realized that they would spend winter in the miserable trenches, morale plummeted. What would happen, I wonder? 
Winston Churchill wrote to his wife in mid-December. If the armies suddenly and simultaneously went on strike and said some other method must be found for settling their dispute, he would soon find out. The professional armies of career soldiers who had fought each other over the summer were largely gone by now, dead, wounded, or prisoners. In their stead stood conscripted men and disillusioned wartime volunteers, trapped in the horrors of trench warfare. Both sides spent their days sharing their meager rations with rats, fleas, and lice. They slept in damp underground dugouts and caves, while the forward sentries tried to keep awake in the mud and the sleet. The whole trench system was still seen as temporary, though, and breakthrough would come soon, so it lacked any kind of comfort or sophistication. And beyond the parapets? Well, on December 21st, British Colonel Swinton wrote, This is the Ultima Thule. Beyond is neutral territory, the no-man's land between the hostile forces. It is strewn with the dead of both sides, some lying, others caught or propped on the sagging wire where they may have been for days, still others half-buried in craters or destroyed parapets. When winter began and the temperature dropped, an increased lethargy was noticed by officers on both sides. Soldiers were literally sick of the worsening conditions, of being constantly exposed to the cold, the rain, and the enemy guns. The aggressive policies put in place by high command to keep the infantry busy only made things worse. Patrolling through the nights, keeping watch over the parapets, throwing bombs and sniping at the enemy, it all seemed so futile. All it did was increase their own chances of getting killed. This led to a number of unofficial truces all over the front, a live and let live system. You let me sleep, I let you sleep. You don't fire on our latrines, we won't shoot up yours. Sometimes grenades were intentionally thrown to the side or code words were exchanged signaling a coming bombardment. It was a basic, almost natural understanding that there were limits to war. This is important in order to understand what would happen in the days around Christmas. The Champagne Offensive began the week before Christmas. After a series of attacks and counterattacks, No Man's Land was once more littered with the bodies of the fallen. The overall mood inside the trenches was as terrible as the weather, with men up to their knees in mud and water. Then the first incidents happened. German soldiers were heard asking about a ceasefire. Hands in the air, they indicated that they wanted to go out and take care of the wounded in no man's land and bury the decaying bodies. The British agreed and went out to do the same. It was all spontaneous, but suddenly men were passing each other over the battlefield without firing a shot. In some cases, they even had a quick chat or shared a cigarette. People sometimes overestimate the size of no man's land, but the trenches were usually 200 meters apart max, often less than half that. The forward saps were even closer. Day and night, the men could hear each other talking or yelling and singing. Conversations between the two sides were not uncommon. When a German soldier was seen carrying a wounded British soldier back to the line, he was thanked and granted a safe passage back. Christmas Eve morning, the Christmas gifts arrived. Chocolate and sweets, cigarettes and tobacco, and hundreds of thousands of small packages and letters from home. This raised morale tremendously, 
but also magnified the feelings of homesickness and the desire for peace and a return to normal life. Men began shouting and teasing each other, Fritz, Tommy, come across, we meet halfway. But, but they were hesitant. A few brave souls went out at their own risk. There are many different stories, but over the course of the day, there were even incidents of British and German officers talking about a possible ceasefire on Christmas Day. By evening, soldiers lit candles in the trenches, some even set up small Christmas trees. The men sang the all-time classics in English and German like Stille Nacht, The First Noel, and O Come All Ye Faithful. For most devout Christians, Christmas was the most important day of the year, and the celebration of the birth of Christ stood in many ways in stark contrast to the reality of the war itself. Around midnight, everything went eerily quiet. And on Christmas morning, as the fog disappeared, the stillness remained. Instead of the cracking of rifles, men heard the chirping of birds. Everyone in the sector wondered what would happen next. Soldiers once more began talking to each other. Boxes of food and souvenirs were thrown across to the other side. A few men exposed themselves above the parapets, then more followed. A basic agreement was made. No one would fire unless fired upon. In some places where the ceasefire had indeed been arranged beforehand, further rules were set in place. First of all, if either side fired a shot with the intent to kill, the truce was immediately off. Action by artillery did not count, nor did it break the truce, as they had no control over the batteries far to the rear of the trenches. If an order was given to open fire, they would shoot the first three rounds into the air to give the other side time to get under cover. If there were orders to expend a certain amount of ammunition this day, the machine gunners would waste ammo in the evening hours after a shrill warning signal. Neither side was allowed to erect barbed wire or repair their trenches during the truce. Still, everything depended on trust and an unwritten code of honor. A machine gun could cut them all down within seconds. Yet no one shot. Men venturing out did not even carry arms. Some waved a white flag, and the men, mortal enemies just a day before, met and shook hands, talked, and exchanged gifts. For, for a few hours, it was peace. There were, of course, some officers who went straight to headquarters to report this, and plenty of men who did not take part. But overall, the mood was far from being hostile. It was this weird realization that the other side was just as human as their own side. After many months on the battlefield, and we were used to the violence, then all the candles went silent, and the snow fell. Voices sang to me from no man's land. We are all, we are all, we are all, we are all friends. The most iconic moment of the truce is, of course, the football match in no man's land. It was as spontaneous as everything else that day, and the stories all vary. A ball appeared from somewhere. I don't know where but it came from their side. They made up some goals and one fellow went in goal and then it was just a general kickabout. I should think there were a couple of hundred taking part. I had a go at the ball. Everybody seemed to be enjoying themselves. There was no sort of ill will between us. There was no referee, no score, no tally at all. Private Williams of the Cheshire Regiment. 
A couple of English brought a football out of their trench and a vigorous football match began. This was also marvelous and strange. The English officers thought so too. Towards the evening, the officers asked whether a big football match could be held the following day between the two positions. Saxon Leutnant Zemich. No Man's Land had seemed 10 miles across when we were crawling out on a night patrol, but now we found it no wider than the width of two football pitches. We provided the football and set up stretchers as goalposts, and the Reverend Jolly, our padre, acted as referee. They beat us 3-2. Robert Graves, Royal Welsh Fusiliers. As it started getting dark, men shook hands and went back to their trenches. The Christmas truce was a unique and rare moment in history, sure. It was both spontaneous and to a certain degree foreseeable. Of course, it didn't happen everywhere. Hundreds of men still died, and parts of the front were as busy as they were every other day. And the Western Front was just one of many battlefronts in the war. On Christmas Day, Ottoman soldiers by the tens of thousands were busy freezing to death in the disastrous Battle of Sarakamish in eastern Anatolia. But for those that experienced the truce, it was something they'd never forget. In some places it lasted a few hours, somewhere else it lasted to the next day, but it could not go on forever. As the news went up the chain of command, generals on both sides were quick to snuff it out. Fraternization was deemed a crime against the nation. Participating units were rotated out of the lines, and their officers were threatened with court-martial. High command ordered inspections and speeches and shamed the men at the front. Did you shake hands with those that bayoneted babies in Belgium? Did you, did you exchange gifts with the bastards that killed your brother yesterday? Although the press back home was quick to take up the story, censorship soon cracked down on its telling. The whole truce became taboo. Official war history denied that it ever happened. It only lived on through the memories of those that had participated and who had shared the stories with those back home. As the war went on, the animosity between sides became ever greater. Poison gas, flamethrowers, the sinking of merchant ships, the slaughter at the Somme and Verdun, all made sure that the Christmas truce in the West would not repeat itself. Of course, there would be smaller truces all over the war on all fronts for such things as retrieving bodies. Informal arrangements were respected, but this level of fraternization, this antithesis to war, would never be again reached, not until the end. Still, Churchill got his answer. For a single day, the opposing forces mingled in friendly conversation and even in games. It was an amazing spectacle and must arouse bitter thoughts concerning those high-ranking conspirators against the peace of the world who in their mad ambition had hounded such men on to take each other by the throat rather than by the hand. Arthur Conan Doyle. Hey, Indy. Hey, hey uh, there's something that looks a little bit different on you than normally. Um, is it the kavai? Yeah. No, 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 no. It's, uh, it's, you've done something to your oh, face. Oh, yeah, you know, I completely forgot about that. Oh, funny story, though. You want to know how that happened? Yeah. Okay. I, I hope it's a good Christmas it's story. It's a good story. It, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, okay, yeah, it's Christmas time, right? It was Christmas time, and because I'm a good guy, I was doing some charity work, right? And there were these orphans and nuns in an orphanage. Although it was a non-denominational orphanage, because Christmas is really about to celebrate giving and the human spirit and stuff. You could put religion in it if you like, but you know what I mean, right? Mm -hmm. So, but I'm there and I'm dressed as Santa Claus, right? And I'm giving out presents to all of the orphans from all over the world. All the, they were all good orphans. There were no bad ones. Nobody got like a lump of coal or anything. And they got Sabaton albums, different ones. Some got the art of war and this guy got the great war. Cause everybody loves Sabaton. All orphans love Sabaton and nuns too. Nuns love Sabaton too. Well, it's going along great. But, um, one of the nuns was smoking, right? And there was like, you know, the, the bunting, you know, the crepe paper and stuff like that, which is pretty flammable. And it started going up. And we realized that since it was cold, because it was Christmas, the pipes were frozen, so there's no water, right? So we couldn't put it out. So suddenly, the whole orphanage, the non-denominational orphanage, is, is a raging inferno. And I'm like, ah, oh, save the orphans, save the orphans. So I start grabbing orphans, like one, two at a time, and I'm running out of the thing, and people are going, hey, Andy, save the orphans. I'm saving the orphans. And But the thing is, there's a lot of smoke. There's smoke everywhere, because it's a fire, right? And I'm, you know, I'm breathing in the smoke, and I start coughing, but my coughing is coming like, hoo. I'm going like, hoo, hoo, hoo. And, and the flames carrying kids. I look like the most satanic Santa Claus you've ever seen. But I was actually a good Santa Claus because I was saving orphans, right? And I get like all the orphans out and the nun and one, she apologized for smoking. And I got everybody's out there and stuff. And we're lying there in the snow out there. And I stand up and I hear this voice from behind me. And it was one of the, it was the mother superior. And she says, Indy, uh, come here for a second. I turned around and I walked right into the door, right into the door. Oh, damn. I took a layer of skin off my nose. Can oh, you wow. believe that? No, 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 no. But what happened to the, the one who was smoking? She's still smoking? No, 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 no. Okay, good. Look, this just, you know, <laughs> no human beings are perfect. I'm not mocking orphans or nuns or myself or, or you. Or, or, no, I mean, I, but smoking has several severe consequences. If you're a long-term smoker, you know what they are. You know that you have consequences. It does not mean that you can easily quit smoking. None or no none, you know? Well, I'm glad we had this talk. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we had this talk today. So uh, let me ask you a question about, about the, this, the, the Christmas truce episode. Uh, it is one of the most iconic things of the First World War, the most iconic occurrences, certainly non-battle related and stuff. But yet when you did the Great War, you're, it's not on that. Now, did you consider a song about the Christmas truce for the first Great War album? Or why is it only now coming? Yeah, that's a good... Uh, I mean... It is exactly like you said. We were considering it, of course, for the first album, for the Great War album. Uh, of all the topics of World War I, the most requested was, please do a song that is not about battles. Do something about peace. Do about the Christmas truce. Right. And um, we wanted to do it, but it's also about creating a good, suitable song for it. Okay. And we didn't do that. We uh-huh. couldn't write the right song for it. And it was always in our mind, maybe we should do another song to just add to it and maybe have the Christmas Truce as a standalone single or something like that. Okay. And, um, but as time progressed, and then there came a virus into the world which forbid us from touring, which yeah. meant that we went back a little bit to the songwriting process, and then we started to create more songs about World War I. And, of course, at this time, we spent a lot of effort making the Christmas Truce song. How did the songwriting process for this go? Since it was obviously difficult, if not impossible, for the first album to do it, how, how did you succeed this time? Well, um, it's sort of a question for Joachim. However, okay. I know, talking to him, how stressed he was about writing a specific song. I mean, when it comes to writing a song, any song, 
Yeah. It's much easier than write a specific, a specific song. song about I mean, normally Sabaton has a very, very big box of things, you know, you can, you can play like that or play like that. And it's a very, very big variety of songs. Right. But if you have to write specifically the Christmas truce, you are a tiny window. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, of course, makes the songwriting process more difficult. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, in the end, there is a song and it captures the, the Christmas spirit. Now, you know, when I was doing The Great War, people would ask all the time, you know, since we did a special about the Christmas yeah. truce in the first year, but people were always asking, well, were there other, like, hol- Christmas truces or Easter truces or other holiday truces? Did people try to do these on any of the fronts? And the answer is not no. Um, now, in the history part you just heard, I don't talk about this, but in, um, in, on Easter in 1916, on the Eastern Front, Um, the Russians tried a, an Easter truce facing against, not the Germans, the Austro-Hungarians, they're facing that part of the front. And they came out of their trenches on Easter morning um, with no weapons or anything. And they were taken prisoner by the Austro-Hungarians because the Julian and Gregorian calendars, which the, the, they're 13 days difference. So it's Easter to the Russians But it was not Easter to the Austro-Hungarians. It was just a bunch of guys coming out of their trenches without their weapons. So they took them all prisoners. So oh. that's, that's a big main reason why you did not get Eastern Front um, at truces. And imagine if there was the midsummer, Swedish midsummer truce. Yeah. <laughs> This is a, a thing. If Sweden, uh, hopefully never, but if Sweden goes to war and we fight over, over the midsummer. Yeah. We will try to do a midsummer's uh, celebration, drinking moonshine and and, and singing. Uh, As you do, the small crowd, not small crowd. Now, but okay, so that's midsummer. Probably the enemy is just like, oh, idiots, let's wait, shoot them. Wait, I speak Swedish. I think they're singing about frogs because <laughs> like, they are. That's what Swedes do at midsummer. Yeah. Um, but speaking of what Swedes do at midsummer, what do you do at Christmas? How do you celebrate? Oh, do um, you celebrate Christmas? Um, yeah, well, it's uh, my whole life. It hasn't changed that much. We're yeah. still together with the family, with the core family, and we yeah. we just sit and uh, we give away some presents and we have a nice dinner together the whole day and then we watch the Swedish uh, Kalanka. Okay, of course. <laughs> you know, I didn't used to when I came to Sweden because I thought that's the same thing every year. But I do now. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, 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 the older I get, the more Christmas traditioning I get. Although, since my family, my siblings and my parents are all in Texas... And it's rare that I'm there over Christmas because I usually have work here. But I do sometimes, like a few years ago, I, bought, I went to a media market and bought the biggest deep fryer I could find on December 23rd. And I spent the next three days alone with just the cats, like deep frying like everything. Just seeing, and that was like one of the most fun Christmases I've ever had. You know what was really good? Deep fried gummy bears were really good. Okay, this is how you do deep fried gummy bears. Get a handful of gummy bears and stick them in the microwave and so they're soft, not melted, right? And then mash them together, right? And then put them in the freezer for like two hours or so till it's frozen together. And then dip them in some batter, like a beer batter, and then deep fry it in a little ball. It's delicious. And that's the tip for this year's uh, Christmas dinner. That is your Christmas treat, thanks to Sabaton History. Um, well, <laughs> do you have a Christmas message for everybody out there in Sabaton land? Yeah, well... I think we just wish everybody uh, good holidays. Yeah, joyous and, and happy holidays. I hope have you guys, a great time. I hope you're safe and happy and your whole week and month are full of smiles. Nothing but smiles. See you next and time. And gummy bears. And gummy bears. Deep fried. <laughs> I'm from Texas. We deep fry everything.
right. Thank you, everybody. See you next time. See you next time. All right, thanks for watching. Please subscribe and also click that little bell so you get notifications in the future when we release new episodes of Sabaton History Channel. Uh, during this week, we have had a lot of recommendations, late-breaking recommendations from folks that said, well, if you're doing Christmas, you should have done this one or this one. or You know, there's a lot of them. And I'm like, okay, thanks, y'all. Christmas will come again next year, right? So we're taking notes. But there was one recommendation that uh, we spot-checked, and it really struck me, and I thought we have to make some time to include this one on the channel this week and so that is what we are doing the song is called christmas truce and it is by the band sabaton so sabaton is a band that i am not familiar with and so i'm very much looking forward to this uh, they are from sweden they are a heavy metal band and they formed in 1999 this song christmas truce is from their upcoming album called the war to end all wars it is due to be released in march of 2022 and as i read uh, this album the war to end all wars like its predecessor from sabaton the great war is a concept album focused on some of the major events during uh, war uh, world war one and uh, this includes the christmas truce this famous truce that happened at christmas time in 1914 where the western front fell silent as this temporary ceasefire took hold uh, soldiers from both sides ventured into what uh, was normally no man's land on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day to interact, exchange food. They had some joint uh, burial ceremonies, uh, some prisoner swaps, and even some good old football and carol singing. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what uh, this band does with it. As I'm looking at it, they premiered this official music video on October 29th of this year, and it already has almost 5 million views. So, f 5 million people can't be wrong, y'all. We're, we're going to dive into it. Uh, performing for us today, Joaquin Broden uh, on lead vocals and keyboards, Par Sundstrom on the bass and vocals, Chris Rorland on guitars and vocals, Tommy Johansson on guitars and vocals, and Hannes Vandal on drums and vocals. You gotta love a band where everybody in the band sings, right? So y'all, let's 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 get to it. Uh, we're gonna be looking at the official music video from Sabaton and their brand new song called Christmas Truce. Ready? All right, here we go. It's the night of December the 24th, 1914 on the Western Front. The industrial might of the new 20th century has been focused into a war that has been going on for five months. Everyone thought it would be over by Christmas, but sadly such hopes have now died alongside the young men in the clinging mud and cold of the trenches. On the run-up to Christmas, Pope Benedict XV begged the warring governments to call a truce and asked that the guns may fall silent, at least upon the night the angels sang, but it was no use. 
In the trenches, sometimes just 30 meters apart, the men of both sides often shout insults to each other above the sounds of battle. On Christmas Eve, a cry comes over from the German side in broken English. Tomorrow, you no shoot, we no shoot. The British and French are incredulous. Then along the trenches, there's a movement. But instead of seeing the sight of men going over the top, this time, pushed up above the top of the trenches, Christmas trees start to appear along the German lines, lit up by flickering candles. Is it a ruse? Could it be real? Could the regular soldiers on the front lines make a peace at Christmas when the church could not? On the wind drifting across no man's land, there's a sound of hope and cheer as Christmas carols are sung. The gentle murmur becomes stronger and is picked up by more and more of the soldiers. As Christmas Eve becomes Christmas Day, the British and French join in too. As the morning draws, there's silence. In a farmhouse a short distance away from the front line is 18-year-old Scotsman Alfred Anderson. He vividly recalled that Christmas Day and said, I remember the silence, the eerie sound of silence. Only the guards were on duty. We all went outside the farm buildings and just stood listening. And of course, thinking of people back home. All I'd heard for two months in the trenches was the hissing, cracking and whining of bullets in flight, machine gun fire and distant German voices. But there was a dead silence that morning, right across the land as far as you could see. We shouted, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Even though nobody felt merry.
There were many matches along the lines that day, some with proper footballs, some with bully beef cans, some were disorganized scrambles for the ball. Robert Graves reported that in his match, the Germans won 3-2. The Argyle and Southern Highlanders reported their match ended 4-1 to Scotland. An estimated 100,000 men took part in the Christmas truce. As the men moved back to their trenches, Captain Charles Stockwell took it upon himself to fire three shots skyward. He raised a flag upon which was written, Merry Christmas. His German opposite raised a flag that read, Thank you. The two men then stood on the ramparts and saluted each other. Alfred Anderson, the young Scotsman, survived the war and lived to the age of 109. He said at the end of the truce, the silence ended in the early afternoon. It was a short piece in a terrible war. But one of the most remarkable quotes comes from a young soldier who, despite being away from his family for the first time, said of the events on that day, I wouldn't have missed it for the most gorgeous Christmas dinner in England. A Merry Christmas from everyone at Yarnhub, and the final words go to the members of Sabaton. Merry